In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. And I'm very excited to welcome Amber Pierce to the podcast today. I think you're really going to love this episode because she has the most unique life. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Amber was raised in a family with hippie parents who converted to the church and eight of her 13 siblings were adopted from other cultures. Amber graduated from BYU with a degree in home and family science and is a certified life coach. She married an amazing man who has always supported her in developing and sharing her talents. She couldn't wait to be a mama and has loved raising one girl and four boys in the mountains of New Mexico. She's taught yoga for 22 years and also loved developing her gifts as a consultant for Thrive Life. After unexpected success in the business world, the Lord let her know she needed to use her same gifts to testify of him. So since then, she's been sharing her gospel insights and inspiring stories online. She dreams of starting a charity and publishing the book she's currently writing about an inspiring true story. She's eaten rattlesnake, but definitely prefers chicken. And one of the greatest days of her life was when at 15 years old, her home got electricity and she was finally able to use a hairdryer. Oh my gosh, Amber, I can't wait to talk with you. Welcome to doing good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here too. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I have been looking over your Instagram page and and following you and reading some crazy stories about your childhood and upbringing. And I just don't even, I think we just have to start there. Like we have to go back to the very beginning and talk about your very unique and different childhood being raised by hippie parents. So let's start from, let's start from there. Let's talk about your parents. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, neither of my parents were raised in the church. In fact, my mom was, her parents didn't believe in God. They were amazing people, but didn't believe in God. And my dad, his mom was always looking and found what she was looking for when they got a tour of Temple Square. Wow. By a heart surgeon, you know, wink, wink. No way. Yeah, yeah. Later on, many years later, my dad wrote President Nelson a letter and said, this is when we went to Temple Square. Were you giving tours at that time? And he wrote him back and said, yes, I was. That was me. Unbelievable. Yeah. So my dad was baptized when he was 16, but he was 16. Let's face it. He, <laughs> he didn't really develop. He always knew there was something to the Book of Mormon, but he didn't develop a strong enough testimony to keep him once he left a home and joined the army. So long story short, both of my parents ended up in a hippie commune in New Mexico. And that's where they met. And my mom, who is just this free spirit, saw my dad and was like, I'm going to marry him. And two weeks later, she did. No way. (laughs) Yeah, it's nuts. And their marriage lasted. But which is amazing to me with, you know, you think they started and it's like, how, how did that even happen? But what's really neat, what I love about their story is that, you know, because my dad was already a member and I'm sure his mother like contacted the local warden's like, go find my son. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because 
there was some home teachers that actually they hadn't been doing their home teaching. And so they went to their uh, branch president and were like, please assign us someone again. We repent. We so, so they didn't have any families to home teach and they were very remote, remorseful for not doing their home teaching now ministering as we call it. Right. And so the, the branch president was like, okay, I'm going to give you one family. I got someone. I got a good one. I got someone for you. <laughs> Can you imagine the courage to walk into a hippie con? No. Just like with a bunch of really just high people. <laughs> well, I'm wearing like a suit, right? Yes. Yes. They were wearing suits. And so all everyone there immediately thought that they were the FBI. Oh. And they took off running. <gasps> and my mom was waiting to see what my dad would do. Okay. She noticed that he was he was standing still and she was like, what's going on here? Why isn't he running? Because my dad immediately knew. The second they got out of the car, he's like, "Those, I know why they're here. They're here for me. <gasps> no way. Yeah. He knew they were members of the church. And just the spirit that they carried with them. Yeah. Yes. And that, that happened many times. Like my mom, like I said, she didn't, she didn't know God really. She always thought it was curious that she found herself talking to the God, this person that she hadn't <laughs> not learned anything about in her life. But because of that contrast, like obviously home teachers had to come back quite a bit to convince my parents of things. But my mom, my dad would be gone for the day and then they would drive up the road and they would just be driving up the road. And my mom would say they were here today. My dad like was like, how could you possibly know that? And sure enough, they would get to the door and there would be a note left by the home teachers. She could immediately sense that, that contrast. The wow. spirit. And I think maybe it's because <laughs> it was such an unholy place that when the spirit was brought there, people, they just, you could feel it. It was yeah, just different. It was tangible. Yes. Yeah. That is amazing. So they start, were they teaching them? Were they like, were they just kind of getting to know them at this point? Were they just seeing if they were uh, open? <laughs> Both. I mean, my mom was pretty skeptical, especially because she knew nothing. My dad had not told her about this part of his life. And so she's like, what's going on here? And she was also kind of trying to test them. She would do pretty, say pretty bizarre things and like, she, she would just take her shirt off and nurse. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Them to yep. see how they would react. Yep. What are you going to do? So, yeah, it was it, that experience was very much like it was just new. It was just filling things out. But what it did do, like, it didn't convert my parents at that, that time, but it got them realizing because they had already been thinking, wow, we can't raise our kids here. Yeah, because they had a friend who died of a drug overdose. They there was another friend, a mother who just left her child, just left him because she, drugs is what she needed and what she lived for. And they knew that they couldn't raise their children in that environment, but they kind of needed something to push them on their way out. And yeah. that is what really helped them. It it helped provided that turning point for them. How many? Did how many, sorry to interrupt, how many kids did they have at that point? They only had one. Okay. And my, but my mom was pregnant. Okay. Okay. 
I was going to say, if either one of those elders who came, or if either one of those home teachers had served their mission in like any Latin American country, your mom taking your shirt off to nurse would have not phased them at all. Like, oh yeah, no, it's that's just just par for the course. <laughs> Sorry, that's not going to deter us. So she had, so she was nursing one and pregnant with another, and they felt like, okay, we need to. There's something better for our children than living here and being here. Yeah. And so did, so then what happened? Did they, did they move or what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they are the ones that owned that crazy house that a lot of people would come and stay at. Okay. Drugs at. So they, they still owned the house. They didn't sell it. I don't know if anyone would have purchased it. (laughs) We have to describe, we have to describe this house really fast because you posted a picture of it on your Instagram. It's Amber Pierce. It's left with a smile and you posted. I, for those that are like listening, I have to kind of describe this. Well, you describe it for us, what the house looked like. (laughs) The house, quote unquote. Well, the funny thing is, so that picture has been on our wall and my son was watching my reel where I explained that that was our house. And he's like, wait, that's a house. Yeah. Like, no. He's it's 14 it's- years old and he had no idea it was a house. You can't tell it's a house. It looks really like a piece of art. I yeah. honestly think people would pay to come look at it, but so- it's yeah. It is. It's very artsy. It's like, it's like something you'd see out of Star Wars. It's like a... Yes. It, 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 look, it's, I don't even know, like a hut, but all <laughs> different plywood and, and boxes, like making up the walls. Of geometric shapes, just yes. with cores and plaster and really thick colored plastic, like fake stained glass kind of thing. Yes. And, and when you said spaceship, yes. Like my dad, when he was interviewed back then and what his inspiration was, he was, you know, it was like a futuristic spaceship own. Um, it, it kind of looks like it kind of looks like the outside of the space mountain <laughs> in Disneyland. That's kind of what it looks like. It was it insulated? Like was it were there was there no. a door? I mean, was it just I don't think that there was any inspections on this house. Yes. And it passed any code. It was not up to code. No, there was no real door. There was no real insulation that so it has this kind of peak in right in the middle of it that was actually a chimney because they would actually build a fire inside their house oh, like an open my fire. goodness it, well and it, so so this was still in the hippie com- commune yes. this house so they did they move out of this house or did they just leave the commune as like how did that work so they just they just left thinking that they would probably come back, but they knew that they couldn't get off of drugs in a way for like my dad's vice was alcohol. He was an alcoholic. It was more my mom that was addicted to drugs and they knew they couldn't get away fr- from it and off that unless they left the environment for a while. Yeah. And so they just, they picked Vail, Oregon, which was the place where my grandmother was raised. But what do you know, my dad goes there and he gets a job and his boss is a member of the church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad finds this out and he would actually like kind of say, like kind of jabbing comments about the church just to see again how the boss would react. Yes. And finally the boss figured out that my dad was a member and invited him to come back. 
Wow. That was the turning point because my dad hadn't walked into a church building since whatever, since he was 16, 17 years old. Wow. Said that when he walked in that building, he felt the spirit so powerfully. And he was like, he, he tells me, he's like, Amber, I, I know what it's like to live life devoid of the spirit. Yeah. And when I walked into that church building, I never wanted to live with that emptiness again. Like oh. you never wanted to go back. That was it. That was it. And so finally, and when my dad let my mom know, like, I think this is, I think this is it. This is what's going to help us. And my mom still wasn't so sure, but she she knew before she could even understand the spirit, the spirit was like, this unity in faith is what's going to strengthen your marriage. It's going to bring you happiness. And so she took that leap of faith and finally listened to discussions and she read the book of mormon cover to cover in three days and she's like i didn't even have to pray to know if it was true or not not i knew when i was reading those words that it was truth do you know what this is so amazing to me because you hear about stories like this and about converts and my dad was also a convert to the church he grew up in canada he was 12 but his it was same his mom and dad joined and then he joined with them when he was 12 years old, but wasn't really converted himself until he was 18, right before he went on a mission is when he decided that that he was going to go all in. It was back and forth and it was, he was kind of loosey goosey with some things and just wasn't sure if, you know, you just do what your parents do, but don't really have a conviction on your own. And he was 18 when he really decided I'm going to go on a mission. And if I'm going to be teaching people about this, I better know that this is something that I truly believe in. And it it just is incredible to me having been raised in the gospel. And this is all I've ever known for someone to find this out. And, and I mean, you think about it, like the story in and of itself is pretty, it's psychedelic is not the right word, but if we're talking about hippies, like an angel appearing with gold plates and you know what I mean? Restore and yeah. the devil trying to get him and, and tell him it's not wrong. Like you can see how it'd be like, whoa, this is out there. But but the spirit though, that is what converts people. That is what testifies. And I just think what a I just give like so much props to your mom and dad. And what an amazing woman your mom must be to to read that in three days and immediately be able to feel that difference herself too and know. This is truth. And it just goes to show that anyone, the spirit can reach anyone, no matter their lifestyle and their choices, what they've done, the spirit can penetrate into anyone's heart and convert them. And I think that's so cool that your mom was able to just, okay, I believe it and go off like what faith she must have had. That's amazing. I know. It is. And I'm so grateful for it because I'm like, what if she hadn't? What would be yeah. my, life, what would my life be like? had they not met, made that choice. Yes. But what's even more amazing too, is when they made that choice and then they never turned back, like it changed their lives. You know, it takes some people years to get off drugs and get over their addictions. Yes. But they were, I mean, my mom, she was pregnant. So she had already, she wasn't going to take drugs while she was pregnant. Thank goodness. So she had already was already on that path to, 
leave drugs behind. Yeah. And that my dad knew that, you know, he had to stop drinking and smoking and he, and it was the gospel that helped that change. And they, they were active members like every Sunday for the rest of their lives. Oh, Never even when they, you know, after my mom was baptized, that, I mean, they were only in Vail for one year and then they moved back to their, to their home in the hippie commune. So even when they went back to that environment, which I wouldn't recommend for everyone, but for not for financial reasons, that's where they had to go for the time, but they were able to stay strong and share the gospel with other members of the commune. So, so they move back to this, to the, to the space house in the hippie commune and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to live here. How close was the church that they went there to? Was, there was a branch just a few miles away. Okay. So they were able to get there and were people in the commune like, what happened to you guys? Like you leave, you come back, you know, quote unquote Mormons, you know, members of the church <laughs> of Jesus Christ, were they kind of like, was there pressure to kind of go back to that lifestyle and like, well, Hey, come, come smoke with us, come drink with us. Because I know that's a really strong community too. Yeah. You know, I think that I, I honestly, I, that's the question I'd have to ask my mom if she ever felt that pressure because they've, they always just told me that like, you know, it was done. I think that they were more of an influence on the people that were there yeah. than them being an influence on them. And they actually ended up having to move into another house that was just outside the commune. So they were able to separate themselves because somebody thought that their, that beautiful house my dad built was ugly and an arson burnt it down. So, <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> no way. So they were able to remove themselves, but they never stopped. Oh my goodness. My, pe my parents are so amazing because they never stopped believing in people and they, they became such good missionaries. You know, rather than letting people influence them, they're like, hey, let me share something with you. Yes. Well, and coming from someone that's like, listen, like I've experienced both lives. I mean, opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, like you said, LSD to LDS, like I know what it's like. And so from someone like that to say, you don't have to just think, well, you were born and raised, you know, nothing different. This is just how you've always been trained to think like, no, like they were personally converted. And that type of missionary is powerful. Like they, they can relate to people that someone like me who was raised in the gospel and, and, and we all can be missionaries and, and, and I have my own testimony and strengths and experiences I can share with others, but your parents, very unique lifestyle and, and, you know, living experience could relate and be like, even just an interesting opener, like, Hey, this was my life. And look what Jesus Christ did for me. That probably opened so many doors for them to be able to teach and relate to people. Yeah, it did. And it honestly just, it gave them just a perspective that most people don't have. And yes. it helps them see people just in a different light. Like every person is a child of God that maybe is just hurting and look at what the gospel can do for them. And they, they lived their lives just loving and serving others. And it was the motivation to, you know, to eventually adopt too. They just, they're just good people. <laughs> so how many biological children did your parents have? So my parents had five children and you would think that's enough, right? Yes, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and my mom couldn't have children after five and she was devastated. And so they started to look into adoption. And she had mentioned to her friend that she was curious to adopt. And that friend connected her with, there was this sweet baby boy who had been in the hospital for five months with so many disabilities that they hadn't even put him up for adoption because they didn't know that he would live. And this woman told my parents about this sweet boy. And my mom's like, I don't know. I'll just, I'll come to the hospital and see him. So my parents went to see him and they were like, he's ours. So that was the first child they adopted. My sweet angel brother, who was such a blessing to our family, most Christ-like person you've ever met. And then, you know, once you adopt, your name is out there in the adoption world. And my parents also have the desire. Often when siblings are put up for adoption, they often get separated. Yes. At least back then. Yes. And my mother just, that broke her heart. And so she's like, if when we adopt again, I want to adopt siblings so that they're not torn apart from each yeah. other. So they, my parents were just looking for two, right? And <laughs> funny enough, we actually, they got rejected by a couple of adoption agencies because we didn't have electricity and running water. But this agency that, you know, connected with the orphanage in Calcutta, they're like, hey, they don't have electricity and running water either. Yeah. So, <laughs> although we did, we did have to get electricity, I mean, not electricity, we did have to get some indoor plumbing in order to adopt. And so, but what my parents weren't expecting were five sisters. <gasps> yeah. And, but they, about it and knew that they were supposed to be in our family. And so they started the adoption process, which took about a year. But the second that my sisters arrived, like that night, they said to my parents, we have a cousin who's in the orphanage. And it was a boy. And my parents immediately were like, of course, we're getting him too. And so he came about a year later, just because the adoption process is so complicated. How old and were you? when these sisters came? I was nine years old. Nine. Was that hard? <laughs> was that hard? <laughs> that, I should rephrase that. How did you deal with getting five sisters overnight? At, and what were their ages? <laughs> okay, so the five of us that my parent, the five biological kids, we basically all got a twin. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah with all the same age as us. And, you know, when I first found out, cause I had three older brothers and then a younger brother and a, one sister. Okay. And I was like, five sisters, we're going to be doing each other's hair every day and yes. playing Barbies. Yes. You have all these wonderful dreams. Yes. Yeah. So if pulling each other's hair counts for yeah. doing this hair, then yeah. we succeeded. Yeah. No, it was life changing. Can you imagine doubling no. your family overnight? It wow. It was it was definitely not what a nine-year-old brain could process. No. And it was I it's safe to say the most difficult experience of my life, of my entire life. And some of it amazing and wonderful and beautiful and some of it traumatizing, sure. <laughs> you know, it was just, I mean, and not only because even imagine just regular sibling rivalry, right? Yes. There, in a family that grew up to, you know, all oh, biological yeah. siblings before my sisters came, things were kind of nuts. 
But then imagine trying to mix two different families and not only two different families, but two different cultures. Yes. I mean, from a whole nother world. Yes. They didn't even know English. They could sing the ABCs. And it It really was more like a blended family, like blending two families and adopting and a whole, like, I mean, they were probably like, well, we're each other's siblings. Like we don't care about, you know what I mean? Like we have each other's backs. Like it's us against you. Yeah, there was a battle line drawn, definitely. Yeah. And it was really hard to mix us together. But I mean, nothing teaches you more about forgiveness and repentance and Christ-like love than having to go through an experience like that. And I did get to the point that, you know, I, I wish I could have understood in my nine-year-old brain, like no matter how hard it was for me, yeah, I would have been in my shoes than my sister's shoes. I mean, right. can you imagine? losing your parents and being no. in an orphanage and then being taken from the country that you know and love. And just, no. I, my sisters amaze me. They are phenomenal humans. And so, so, yeah, it was hard, but God consecrates, consecrates all those things for our good. Did and any so, of them have interest in the church? Did your mom take them to church? Yeah, they, they all went to church. All my adopted siblings were baptized. Because there was one more boy after that. My parents adopted one of my mom's students from school who he had a disrupted adoption, which means he was adopted. And then they decided that they didn't want to adopt him. Like, I can't imagine doing that to a child. Oh. I picked my mom off. And she's like, I am not having that. I'm adopting you. Oh so, so anyway, with, wait, what was it? <laughs> yes, going to church with everybody. Oh, yeah. They yes. were all baptized. Yes, they were. They were all baptized. Everyone went to church. Bless those young men and young women leaders, because that that was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and that they were so wonderful. And yeah, all my all my sisters are members of the church. Varying levels of activity in the church now, but grandchildren. <laughs> my parents have grandchildren that are all active in the church. And no way. Okay, so tell me about growing up in a home with lots of adopted siblings, first of all, but also with no running water and electricity. I mean, did you know that people had that or were you just kind of like, oh, wait, is this normal or is this not normal? Would you ever ask them like, why don't we, why didn't you have water or electricity? (laughs) You know, well, oh, honestly, it's because we in summer sex is just simplicity, right? My parents were used to living that way, and you knew they knew you didn't need it, right? You didn't need it to be happy. Now, my dad was an electrician. Oh <laughs> my heavens! <laughs> no way. So we could. I think he could have figured it out, but you know, it just it wasn't a priority. It was simple life, but I don't see what's simple about it. But whatever. Nope. And but where my parents lived, we, eventually they we moved on the complete other side of the mountains, and at that time there was no electrical lines. It would have okay. been very expensive to bring electricity. And in the valley we lived in, people just hauled water. They just there wasn't water. You had to dig a well. And the home that they purchased was just this. I mean, it was a single room with a loft. That was it. That was our home. And so it was just simple. And they eventually wanted water and electricity, just took time and, and money. 
Yeah. So, but for me, yeah, you're, it's so interesting. You don't know how different your life is because it's your life, right? Yes. I mean, I remember um, writing my essays to apply for BYU and the one essay that just caught me up, I couldn't figure it out what to write was what makes you unique. Oh, no way. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, what doesn't make me unique? Let me go. I, I, I was seriously in tears like, mom, I don't, I just don't know what is unique about me. Oh, heaven. Was, you know, my sister-in-law was actually the one that was like, Amber, are you kidding me? Yes. And I was like, oh, that's unique. Okay. okay. Like your life is just your life. Yes. Although I did see. I think it's still funny because, you know, out where I live, there's a lot of trailer homes, mobile homes. Yeah. And I remember my friend was in a double wide and I like, she could have lived in a mansion. Oh, oh my goodness. She has a kitchen and she has a toilet inside her house. Like I thought she was living large. So that That was my perspective. Yeah. It was just life. It's, it was fun in some respects, not fun to have to walk out into the middle of the field in the middle of the night where the outhouse was to go to the bathroom when it's freezing. So not fun. No, not fun. (laughs) But that was life and it was an adventure. It really was. (laughs) Tell me what you did with your siblings all day. Did you just, I mean, you talk about eating rattlesnakes in your bio. So just exploring the mountain where your parents very free spirited in their parenting style as well. Oh, very much so. They probably should have worried more than they did. (laughs) Heavenly Father's like, okay, whose angels are assigned to your family? Or what was your maiden name? Oh, my maiden name? Yes. Oh, okay. They're like, okay, whose angels are assigned to watch over these kids? Because, I mean, honestly, sometimes I feel like they're, what else protects us from the crazy things we do as children? Yeah, I know. And when you don't, yeah, when you don't have a TV to entertain yourself, you figure out ways to entertain yourself. I I still think like, what was my mom thinking? Why was it okay with her that she knew we were going out to hunt rattlesnakes on a consistent basis? Like, that would terrify me as a mother. I cannot imagine. So much fun. But she did, it was because I I think she trusted my older brother because he even though he was actually pretty young, you know, he was 14 or whatever, but he, he knew how to safely quote unquote, catch a rattlesnake. So yes, those were one of our adventures. And I loved, I never personally caught one, but I loved watching and (laughs) funny story. My, so often there would be several rattlesnakes, you know, in the freezer and we had ward parties at our house all the time because it was, we just lived on hundreds of acres, right? Wow. And it was just so fun to have a large group of people there. Yeah. Well, for one ward party, there was a big pot of chili or something on the stove. And my brothers had just caught and skinned some rattlesnakes. And so what do you think they did with those rattlesnakes? No, they added they, them. No. Yep. They put them right in that pot, Chili. No. Well, even though they were dead, their nerves, you know, are still working. So they were writhing in the pot of chili. Sorry for anyone who's listening. That is, (laughs) oh yeah, they got in big trouble that day. (laughs) So someone goes to dish up chili and there, it looks like wiggling snakes literally in their soup. I would have died. Yeah. I don't think many people ate the chili that day. No, 
No. So, uh, uh, did you ever get bit? Did anyone ever get bit by a rattlesnake? Oh, no. no, no, no. It was all completely safe. And you caught a lot of them. Like this was a normal thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a fun adventure. We would go on bike rides all the time. We well, just to give you an idea, though, like the emergency responders had to come to our house multiple times for, you know, catching our house on fire, catching the field on fire. One time my brother got stuck in a folding, fold up couch. So we had to call 911. No way. <laughs> there, yeah. I bet my mom was wishing we had TV at that point. Seriously. Like, okay, what can we do to entertain these kids? Well, yeah. did you ever feel, was there ever with living in such a small area i mean a house like lots and lots of land but like you know going to bed at night living in such a, with 10 13 kids at you know at various times of your life like up to 10 13 right children 13. at once yeah that all did they all live or had some people moved on by the time others came in or was oh, there no. that was all of us there we did so just like my dad did with his first house, right? We so they lived in that we lived in that one room house. So all the kids, we'd all sleep in the loft together and my mom, my parents slept in a fold-out couch. And sometimes we would swap. But my parents eventually like it was just, you know, add on a room here and let's add on a room there. So it just became this like kind of piecemeal house. And we it eventually had like seven bedrooms. We had to have more space before wow my sisters were adopted. But even when my sisters were adopted, there was five of us in one bedroom and three of us in another bedroom. It was still pretty tight quarters, but it, it finally, because the rules were, you know, no boys and girls in the, the yes, space. Yes. So, so eventually there was a little more space, but there was still only one bathroom. So that wasn't fun. I had to get up at 5 a.m. To, to shower every morning if I wanted one of the first showers. Oh my goodness. And did you ever just feel like I, I can't do this. I have to get out. Like, did you ever just want your own space in your own room or was it just all you'd known is sleeping with someone? Oh, absolutely. You want your own space and, but no one had their own bedroom, right? There is plenty of holes in doors because you would go into a room and lock the door just for some quiet time and then someone would pound it down. But actually that's where I gained my love for the outdoors. Thank goodness we lived on hundreds of acres. I was always hiking, walking, adventuring by myself. I was rarely, rarely did you stay inside unless you had to for the winter or whatever. But even then you would go and have snow adventures. So I lived a very much outdoors life life how did you guys like all the logistical things like how did you do homework how did you <laughs> like how do you even like sit down to do like did your parents help you with that were you kind of on your own school-wise yeah luckily i didn't need too much help with my homework but you know i honestly think that my like gosh god must have magnified my parents i don't know how they did that at one time there was 10 teenagers in the home and they were able to figure out how to help each of us. And I never felt like I was lacking anything. Like I felt like I got all the tension that I needed. That's amazing. Like, yeah. I'm like, Heavenly Father must have been there parenting me too. Cause I never felt yeah. that. 
Yes. So, so you, you graduate, you go to be, you get into BYU, you go to BYU. And then how does this amazing career of being a life coach and an online influencer, how did you come into all of that? Well, of course I was a mom for a while. I'm still a mom, yes. <laughs> but you always like to, I always liked to have something, you know, you always want to be developing talents. You know, I love the talents that I developed as a mother. Yes. I loved to teach yoga. And then an opportunity came around for me to be a consultant for Thrive Life. It's just a freeze-dried food company. Yeah. Of course I did because I was like, I need to get my food storage, you know? Yes. <laughs> One of those check boxes. But and I had unexpected success there and learned how to get really comfortable teaching and speaking. I was one of the main trainers there and I spoke on stage and in classes and I had to get comfortable in front of the camera and recording things yeah. and learning all, but the whole time the spirit was like, this isn't about the money. This isn't about what you think it's about. There's something more I have for you. And I'm like, Whoa, okay. I, I had no idea what that was. Yeah. But finally, when it came to that point where I realized, okay, this is something I need to put to the side and I need, I, the spirit was like, okay, use your gifts to testify of me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how, like, what, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And I remember being on this like hour or six hour road trip by myself. And I was just praying out loud the whole time. Like heavenly father, what do you want me to do? I, I will do it, but I don't know how you want me to do this. I mean, I served in my callings at church and I loved my neighbors kind of thing, but what do I do? Yeah. And what else is there? Yeah. And then he gave me a little piece as he often does, but it was the most powerful. Like I felt it from the top of my head to my toes. And it was basically share inspiring stories. Wow. And it came with such power that I needed, knew I needed to do that, but still I was like, how? Yeah. <laughs> right. Way? You want me to share inspiring stories with at church or yeah. I don't know. And even from that was like six, seven, seven years ago, eight years ago. Anyway, and it hasn't even been until recently that that has all like I'm finally seeing all the pieces coming together. Because yeah. at that point, I was like, okay, I'll start a blog. And I it I started sharing, learning, inspiring stories from other people and sharing their stories. I was, for some reason, I kind of missed that my own personal story might be an inspiring story. I can't <laughs> even believe that. Like, it's the most inspiring story. So amazing. I know. I'm a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> but really, just recently, I went through a couple of years of not being able to do much. I was... I was pretty sick. And then my dad got cancer and I was caring for him and he passed away nine months ago. Oh, and I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah it was, it was a difficult experience. Oh. But, but after that, you know, it had been a few months after he passed and I was finally not sick anymore. Yeah. And finally not having to care for other people. And I was like, okay, Lord, I feel like I can do something now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And prior to this, you probably remember President Nelson asking us to pray to know what our spiritual gifts are. And he like he said that with such, he's like, I urge you, I plead with you, pray to know what your spiritual gifts are and how to cultivate them and use them. And if you do, you will change the world. 
And when I had prayed, I was like, okay, I'm going to pray to know what my gift is. And the words came into my mind, you have the gift to bear testimony. Wow. Like, okay, okay. Yeah, I do. I do like bearing my testimony. I can do that on Fast Sunday. Yeah, (laughs) right. Sure. Yeah, like, where is this coming together, Heavenly Father? So finally, uh, in this, just this last October, I was on a hike and talking to my husband, like, okay, what's my next step? What do I do now? And he's like, why don't you just start with baby steps? Why don't you just post inspiring stuff on social media? And I'm like, oh, yuck, I hate social media. No. Yes, right. (laughs) And I was like, well, I will say that I do love it when someone reaches out to me after I've posted something and said, oh my goodness, that was my answer to my prayer. God led me to that message. Well, we get into the car right after this hike, right after I had said that, and I open up my phone and there's a message waiting for me on Instagram. And I'm like, what the, I'm like, I'm never on Instagram. And I've never even messaged anyone through Instagram. Yeah. So I open it up and it's just this woman who said, I had to message you through Instagram because I don't even go on Facebook. So don't ask me how, when I opened up my computer today, it sent me straight to your Facebook page. Strange. And, yeah. And, and to a video that I had posted years ago. Oh, interesting. She said, your video talked about exactly what I am struggling with. So my only explanation is that it is a miracle that God sent me to that video. Oh. And I was like, my mind was kind of like blown a little bit. Like I had just been talking about this, what to do. Yes. And then I come to the car to this message. I'm like, okay, Heavenly Father, I hear you. Yeah, I will start sharing just little things on social media. And I was pretty slow about it. That was October. And it wasn't until January. One day I was just driving to teach seminary. And this idea just flooded into my mind. And also a sense of urgency, like create a video today, post it today. And so I was like, okay. And it took me five hours (laughs) to post and record a night video. I didn't know what I was doing. But I did that and I was, after I did it, I got on my knees and I was like, Heavenly Father, there's clearly someone that needs to hear this or I wouldn't have felt this urgency. So yeah. whoever it needs to be in front of, even if it's one person, take my video and give it to who needs it. Yeah. Well, one hour later, I get a phone call for someone I hadn't heard from in quite some time saying, Amber, I just had to call you because I just watched the video that you posted on Instagram. I, she's, and she said, I was talking about that subject today. It's the only thing that's keeping me in the church. No way. And she said, I feel like that was just God telling me like, hang on. Oh, what an amazing experience. And you're like, okay, that was it. That That was was it. And ever since then, like, I don't plan anything. But I wake up in the morning and, you know, I do my things. I study my scriptures and God just puts ideas into my mind. And so I record them and I post them. And I love it. A whirlwind. <laughs> so. Well, and you, your, your tag on Instagram, it's left with a smile. Tell me about how you came up with that. And by the way, Amber has almost 18,000 followers. So clearly lots of people are being influenced and touched wow. and inspired by you really unexpected because when I posted that very first reel just a couple months ago I had 400 followers 
but that if that's not what matters, right? It's right. What because it blows my mind that with just a few taps, whether you have twenty followers or twenty thousand followers, you yes. can share my testimony in an instant. Yes, and flood the world with goodness. And yes. this is why that original the left with a smile. What that came from was, you know, I created that my that was the name of my blog, leftwithasmile.com, and. When I came up with that name, it was because every time I would go online or go on social media, I definitely was not left with a smile. Most of the time, the things that I would come across would make me feel just kind of drugged down a little bit. Yes. I was like, no, I want to put something out there that will leave people with a smile. And so that was like the original idea. But then I also... I found that the more that I shared, what really resonated with people was God's miracles, his mercies, and just this realization that if we look for it every single day, we will see how God is trying to leave us with a smile at the end of yes. every day. He is in every detail of our lives trying to let us know he's there and there are miracles. I love that. Well, it's so fun to scroll back just on your social media page and you know the first very first you know there's 300 views 400 couple hundred here and there and then it's like oh 2000 and 1500 and then it's like 21000 130000 like it's just it's amazing and it's so funny cuz you always think well what do people like and it's so it just varies and like you said it doesn't it doesn't matter how many views it is and and, and how many people like it's that one person messaging you and reaching out to you and saying, this is what I needed to hear. This touched my life. This is, this was for me. I, f I felt like heavenly father helped me through something you post. And I honestly think there's like, there's no greater, there's no greater feeling in the world than to know that your prompting to help someone was accurate. Like, like you <laughs> felt prompted to do something. And then someone reached out and said, that's exactly what I needed. And it's like, because heavenly father told me like, and, and then your love for them, it's like, oh my goodness. And then you feel love for them and for your heavenly father, for allowing him to use you as the vessel to show his love. And it's the coolest thing. It just makes you want to do it and serve and bless others even more. It's the neatest thing. How yeah. heavenly father can use us. So gratifying. So fulfilling. It, it's the, the best work out there. It is That's beautiful. I like my, my motto is see the miracle or be the miracle. And it's fun to see the miracle, but oh my goodness, it's so, such a blessing to be the miracle. It's so fun. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, Amber, if people want to learn more about you or about, you know, possibly have you come speak to their organization or business or whatever and, and go to your Instagram, tell us about ways they can get in touch with you and contact you, links to things, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they, you can find me on all the social media platforms under left with a smile. Okay. And message me through those, or you can email me at amber at left with a smile.com. And yeah, just connect with me. If you are looking for someone to speak, whatever state fireside or youth conference or whatever it may be, I'd be happy to. And yeah, just find me at those places. My, my blog is still up left with smile.com. It has a lot of what I wrote in the past, but I'm more active in my videos that I post on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. 
So awesome. Oh my goodness, Amber. It was so fun talking with you and learning a little bit more about your very unique life. And you do have a very specific mission and, and your life is so interesting. And I know that there are people out there that, that not only will tune in just because of, wow, the amazing life experiences that you've had, but because of the spirit you bring when, when you talk with others and when you share your testimony. And I love so much that you are doing so much good by sharing the light of Christ with others. So it was just so fun to talk with you and get to know a little bit more about you today. Thank you for coming on Doing Good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I I had a blast. (laughs) Good. So did I. And I can't wait for your book that's coming out pretty soon. You're writing a book currently. Do you have any idea of the dates of when that'll be released? Is it kind of about your life growing up, your experiences? (laughs) People are going to be disappointed to know that it's not about no, me. Not, <laughs> not <is> next. <laughs> I'm not brave enough to tell my whole story yet, but I will. I I do intend to write a story about my life. Actually, you it's should. A, one of my friends who is, she's a monk and she's a, she was a refugee as wow. a of the Vietnam War. And she has the most miraculous, beautiful story I have ever heard. <gasps> and so I'm currently writing that book. And it's, you know, I don't have a, I've never done this before. Right. (laughs) So I don't have any release date for you or anything like that. I I hope to get it done by the end of this year. So So fun. Well, she should come on my podcast too. That'd be so fun to talk with her closer to the release date. We should have her on and then talk about it. That would be so fun. fun. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Amber. And thanks for all the good you are doing. Thank you very much. and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy truly all in one little app and you can use promo code doing good all one word at checkout and you get a full month free so check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com see you soon